Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. What's up, everyone? How you guys doing? Welcome to episode 794. I am going to answer the big question. Why I'm always bumping on cops. Yes, if you've noticed, I'm not too big of a fan and there's a reason why, and I'm going to tell you in this freaking segment right here. Before we begin, don't forget to like and subscribe to the video over on YouTube. Bad, badass chopper man behind me. Holy cow, do I love Springer front ends. Anyway, some stories today is going to make you think a little bit. Think a little bit, and I know it's hard for some of my subscribers to really sit down and think, but I'm going to ask you, please, please try to think and see just how obnoxious, how much of a bullcrap situation this is and what i'm talking about is how this cop was a big prick now i understand i do i understand you don't want to be going 120 uh, miles per hour on the street down a street well except a highway or country road but anyway i get it but when you stop someone and their girlfriend comes to get their colors and they happen to be in the Navy, you don't have to be a prick to get them in trouble, too. That's one of the reasons why I have a big problem with Leo. They never know how to shut up. It's always about making that arrest. It's always about sticking their schlong out to see how big it is, which, by the way, I hear cops don't have big schlongs. That's what I hear. I hear they don't have big schlongs, and maybe that's why they're pricks. Because they're mad. They're mad they don't got manhood. So they have to make everybody else's life miserable. That's maybe why they want to join MCs or start MCs. That way their significant other would see them as a man because they're lacking downstairs. We're going to be talking about that, by the way. Uh, yeah. Especially the notion that motorcycle clubs are declining. Oh boy, have we been having some good discussions lately this week. All kinds of stuff. Check out the videos, man. Real good discussions about how they're being trained right from on the outset. And the type of techniques that they use with the media to push their narrative. 
But yeah, we're going to be talking about that. Want to bust us in the mornings and ride with us at night. Hey, it's a manhood problem with these guys. It really is. But this one story with the chase with the pagan, oh my God. You know what? Calls his girlfriend and next thing you know, he's causing all kinds of problems. Also, also, the jury selection trial in the trial of that schmuck that killed uh, seven people with the jarheads is getting underway. And I am upset about that. Wait till you see what the judge is not allowing. And then we go over to Utah for a real funny one. But let's get going with this story about the New Hampshire 7 to begin today in the trial of Vladimir Zukovsky. The Massachusetts truck driver is accused of causing a crash in Randolph that killed seven motorcyclists more than three years ago. WMUR's Amy Cavino is in the studio with a closer look at this high-profile case. Amy. Sean, here they are. These are the seven people who were killed in one of the deadliest crashes in state history. The trial was expected to get underway 18 months after that June 2019 crash. And after several delays, it is finally moving forward today. 26-year-old Vladimir Zukovsky has pleaded not guilty to charges of negligent homicide, manslaughter, driving under the influence, and reckless conduct. He also waived his right to a speedy trial in connection to a devastating crash three years ago in Randolph. Zukovsky appeared in court last week for the final pretrial hearing. Prosecutors asked the judge to only have 16 jurors rather than 18 because of the potential difficulty of selecting a jury given the high-profile nature of this case. The defense objected, calling it speculation, and the judge agreed, ruling they would aim to seat 18 jurors and adjust if they have to later. The prosecution witness list contains 104 people. Granite Staters make up 62 of those witnesses. Others are from Vermont, Maine, Pennsylvania, and Kentucky. In pretrial motions, Zukovsky's defense team successfully argued to keep jurors from hearing testimony about alleged erratic driving earlier on the day of the crash. And jurors will not hear about a conversation Zukovsky allegedly had with a corrections officer in which he allegedly stated he consumed 10 bags of heroin daily. But evidence about the types and levels of drugs found in Zukovsky's blood after the crash will be admitted. Jurors will view the crash scene July 25th. The trial set to begin July 26th and will is expected to last two to three weeks. In studio. So let me get this straight. Let me get it straight. Maybe I'm dumb. I know I'm a hooked on phonics dropout out of the English section. I admit it. My English sucks. But I do know I'm not ignorant enough. No, you know, I'm not ignorant that why is in any other time when there's a jailhouse confession, it's allowed to be in the case? Well, not here. Not in this one. Why? Is because he uh, is Ukrainian? I'm just putting it out there. Don't don't shoot the messenger. Just putting it out there. This guy was hopped up. He killed seven people. Killed seven. And it is funny how he has this high-priced attorney, isn't it? 
So funny. And the judge has been going with the defense this whole time. What about the victims? What about the victims? You know, me and China Dow talked about this, about it was, I think, a serial killer, how he was put on death row. And he's in the 70s now. This happened in the 80s. And he ain't going to meet justice because California, they stopped it. What is it with these judges? I thought they're supposed to follow the Constitution and not put forth a political agenda. So now a lot of important stuff the jurors cannot hear. Unbelievable, man. Unbelievable. Now, going out to Utah, we got some crazy kooks out there. Now, there's some stuff about Utah I really like. Like, you can marry like four or five people. Why? I don't know why you would. You know, I'd like to sample four or five of those, you know, old ladies out there. I hear they're hot. I hear they're freaky. So no wonder they get to marry, you know, everybody. I just don't like the cousins and the the sisters part. Why would you want to marry them? You had to grow up with your sister. She probably gave you hell. You don't want to be doing her. Get away from that stuff. That's nasty. It is. But... What's going on here is a group of doctors, you know, triggers, are suing a Harley Davidson dealer for violating the Clean Air Act because they're installing aftermarket parts and, you know, pipes. And they're saying they're breaking the Clean Air Act. Now, don't these people have anything better to do with themselves? Well, you know, we have to ensure we have the cleanest air. You know what? Go tell that to China. Go tell that to India and everybody else that don't care about you lefty goals. That's the problem. You push stuff on other people. You talk about climate change. Come on, man. The the Earth's going through a warming cycle, just like it has for millions of years. But this is craziness. Pure craziness. Take a look at this nut. A group of Utah doctors suing a local Harley-Davidson dealership. A lawsuit filed in federal court today alleges the dealership is knowingly removing and then installing parts that make the motorcycles pollute more. Jim Spiewak, live outside one of the dealerships in Salt Lake. Jim, the suit claims that some of their actions violate the Clean Air Act. Yeah, that's absolutely right. According to this lawsuit right here, they claim that there is evidence that this dealership right here has been violating that Clean Air Act at least for the last five years. The motorcycles that these businesses are selling are putting out more pollution and more noise than they're allowed to under the Clean Air Act. That's according to a lawsuit filed today by the Utah Physicians for a Healthy Environment. They claim Harley-Davidson of Salt Lake and its subsidiary sells motorcycles with pollution and noise control devices stripped or replaced. And the end result is that many of these motorcycles are now polluting about twice what they should. The suit alleges the business sells and installs aftermarket parts that defeat air and noise emission control devices. 
Dr. Brian Mensch is the president of the Utah Physicians for a Healthy Environment and says citizen complaints came to their group with these concerns. I think everyone would agree we need to do everything we can to clean up our air, and this is part of it. I mean, there's freedom in it. I always say you're, once you try it once, you're doomed to a life behind bars. David Broderick has been riding motorcycles since 2009, and he says he doesn't typically think much about air quality when he rides because when a bike comes off the line, they are compliant with environmental standards. So my first thought is that's kind of small potatoes. Like, why go after that when we've got factories pumping out tons of pollutants? David says he would like to see laws passed to make it easier to get more electric vehicles into production. If you really want to make a dent, Make more efforts toward that, because that is 99% of what's on the road. The agent of record for these dealerships told me over the phone a little bit earlier tonight he had no comment response to the allegations in this lawsuit. Now, if there is a financial judgment at the end of all of this, it would not go to this local Utah physicians group. In fact, it would go to the Treasury instead. We're live at the nuts out there. And you guys get stuff that we don't get all over this country. You get to marry five, six, seven, eight, nine people, as many as you want. You just start your own personal brothel. And you're out there complaining about clean air? What's wrong with you? Go get in the sack, man. Do something other than make other people's lives hell. And boy, do we have to get a representative in the biker community like that, right? Well, you know, if they made better laws to get electric vehicles going, you wouldn't have this problem. Oh, my God. Every time we get somebody who calls himself a biker to represent this community, I throw up. I do. I throw up because it's always a rub or it's a left-leaning rub. My goodness. You know, these reporters do it on purpose, man, to make us look stupid. That guy probably couldn't get laid if he fucking tried. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my goodness gracious. Anyway, our main story today has me kind of upset. I know. I get upset easy. You know, my Wheaties, it seems like they're pissed on all the time. This is craziness. Here's the lead out of news4jacks.com. Pagan's Motorcycle Club member leads St. Mary officer on high-speed chase. Now, the chase ended when the motorcyclist gave up and surrendered. I thought it was kind of cool because they had two bikes racing and they did the split up and the other one hasn't been caught. Great stuff there. But what's even worse? Now, we know that the Pagans have a really tight relationship with the Thunderguards, which are black. And then wait till you hear what they say at the end of this video you're gonna be like me what the hell just happened here talking about the major propaganda of the media you gotta listen how this news anchor talks this so-called reporter talks it's like holy cow man you're kidding me right you are kidding me right you just said that See, they don't know nothing about what happens in the community. They only go off about what cops do. This is insanity.
Watch this one. News for Jax reporter Eric Albanese joining us now live to explain how it all started. Yeah, Ken, it all started when a St. Mary's police officer caught two motorcyclists in the act of street racing through St. Mary's. He pursued both motorcyclists, but only one uh, gave up and surrendered. And it just so happened the person who surrendered turned out to be a member of a biker gang labeled by the FBI as outlaws. Shortly before 1 a.m., the radar in the St. Mary's police cruiser detects a vehicle coming from behind at 112 miles per hour. Then Corporal Stokes' dash cam records two motorcycles speeding past him. The corporal says the two motorcyclists appeared to be racing each other, so he pursued them both in an effort to conduct a traffic stop. Neither motorcyclist would stop, and both accelerated much faster. But Corporal Stokes was able to maintain a visual of both motorcycles far ahead of him. At one point during the chase, the two motorcyclists split from each other, so Corporal Stokes found himself following a motorcycle driven by a man who was later identified as 26-year-old Daniel Hubbard of Woodstock, Alabama. Hubbard comes to a stop and surrenders to Corporal Stokes. Notice Hubbard is wearing a vest with patches that identify him as a member of the Pagan 1% biker gang. A background check confirms his affiliation with the gang. Uh, yes, I think if that goes to the jail, you won't get it back. Your jacket. That's why he's going to call somebody. Yeah. That somebody he called was his girlfriend who is stationed at NAS Jacks and her friend who is stationed at Mayport. Corporal Stokes is concerned about active duty sailors being affiliated with a man whose name just popped up on a national law enforcement database as a certified gang member. I don't know if you guys would be interested. I was just in a vehicle pursuit with a pagan, uh, one percenter. Um, he called his girlfriend and a friend to come and get the motorcycle in his colors, and they are both Navy personnel. So right now they're actually in front of my patrol car getting his patches and his colors off his back. And he is a verified pagan through NCIC, GCIC. Pagan 1% has been identified by the FBI as a biker gang more than 1,000 members strong whose territory is the eastern seaboard. The FBI says the gang is involved in violent, organized crime. And according to both the FBI and ATF, the gang is at war with the Hells Angels biker gang. Now, Hubbard is already uh, bonded out of jail, and his next court date is August 19th. As for that other motorcyclist, well, that person got away and has not as it, and has yet to be identified. Reporting live, Eric Avignet, Channel 4, The Local Station. And Eric, as you're talking through that, uh, talking about getting the colors off Hubbard's back, that's his vest. Why wouldn't he get his vest back if he went to jail while he was wearing it? So to my understanding, he was not going to get that vest back. They didn't even want him to go to jail with that uh, vest on because of the patches. Uh, uh, those patches, uh, they thought, could incite a riot inside the jail, especially a race riot, uh, because the pagan one percenters, uh, according to the FBI, has racist views towards African-Americans. So they were basically trying to avoid something much worse happening inside the jail. And get this, on top of all of that, he, had a t he already told the officer... He had a tattoo of a noose on his body, so they were really trying to avoid a much serious situation inside the jail. All right, thanks for the explanation. These people are absolutely insane. Now, let's talk about the cop with the little snossages, okay? We'll call them snossages. He had to be the biggest prick in the world. Now, what happened in this country? where we're able to go out with whoever we want, who we want to date, who we want to sleep with. 
who we want to make love to. What happened to that? Now all of a sudden, because this guy is a member of the Pagans, his girlfriend comes to get his bike and his colors like a good old lady would do. And just because her and her friend are active Navy personnel, this little schlong had to call and say, well, I just thought you might want to know or if you were aware. You're a jerk. You really are. You're a jerk. And that is the reason why people don't like cops. Because you always got to stick your nose in this stuff. Why did it matter if they were naval personnel who might just, you know, ended up banging this banging? Pagans, you know, all club members, they like to bang service members. There shouldn't be a problem with that. But you made it a problem. And you probably cost them girls some real big headaches. Where, what if they were in love? What are they in love? Now all of a sudden you got the Navy saying you got to break up with him because he's a part of an outlaw motorcycle gang. That's ridiculous, man, and that's unnecessary. And for all you cops out there, because I know you suckers watch me, you complain all the time. Come on. Maybe you should tell this dude or anybody who's like it in your departments to stop. Because it really does make you guys look like you have snossages and you have a complex problem. That's what it's making you look like. And this racist deal. Are you serious? You, you Really, you serious? Where do you get this stuff? Do you guys even know what picking up the phone or looking around, doing a little research like reporters are supposed to do? To find out what you're talking about. If you did, you would know that the pagans have tight relationships with black clubs. But I get it. You wouldn't know that. Because you don't take too time to find out about it. Morons. Strictly morons, man. Anyway, we're going to go to the second half of the show. Don't forget again to like and subscribe to the video. My goodness, something today. China Doll is joining me right after this music break. If you do not know now, you can listen to the whole show, all the replays, the whole nine yards. Right on your favorite podcast platform.
106 miles to Chicago. We got a full tank of gas, half a pack of cigarettes. It's dark, and we're wearing sunglasses. Hit it. Hey, careful, man. There's a beverage here, huh? We're gonna put the skitties in your island, wickers, you plonker. Do you know what he's saying? WMMRDB Rockford. Chicken, chicken, chicken. Chicken, chicken, chicken. Shut up. <laughs> Shut up. Everybody, we got good news for you. China Dow's gonna be doing her own podcast. Yeah. Mondays, it's gonna be uploaded to all the podcast platforms. At 9 a.m. Central Standard Time. Because China Doll says it's a lot easier doing a podcast than it is a YouTube channel. I think you're just a radio chick. I think so. I think you're a really good radio chick. You're used to doing radio. Yeah. And podcasting should be just easy. And it's going to be like a breeze. And you don't have me hovering. That's all right. And saying, what the hell are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? Yeah. Anyway, anywho, trust is huge. Is it or is it not? It is. Trust is something you need for this subject that we're going to talk about. What do you think about trust? It's one of the top five things that you got to have. The other day we were talking that you didn't want me to do your end of life because you said I wouldn't do it. Yeah. So you have to put a lot of trust in the kids because I'd be a freaking mess. Yes. What about if somebody is terminally ill, in pain, and is just looking to get it over with? I believe it's three or four states allow assisted suicide, doctor-assisted suicide. I think trust would have to really come into play when talking to family members about a decision that big. I went on TikTok today. It was a hard one. It was actually suggested, and I don't know why they would suggest this person. I didn't know her. But she was documenting her journey. She is 39 years old. At 37 years old, she was having irregular menstrual cycles. Went to the doctor. Of course, they didn't investigate. Instead, gave her birth control pills to regulate the menstrual cycle. Turns out, a couple weeks later, it didn't stop and she got dizzy to the point where she passed out and they took her to the hospital. 37 years old. And this one touched me because she's 39 now. But the thing with her is it's end of life. It's terminal now. What does she have? Cervical cancer. Hmm. 
Yeah. And when she woke up in the hospital, the oncologist came in. Here she was thinking she just had a bad menstrual cycle, but it turned out to be cancer. So on TikTok, she did her daily updates and was doing it for over these two years. And she's in hospice now. Mm. Actually, it's week two of hospice. I couldn't imagine what this girl's feeling. Seems like TikTok is her support system. She got to half a million followers. Beautiful young lady. But week two in hospice and she's showing everybody how to face death. And you can see her going through each of the different steps. You know, the anger, the grief, all that type of stuff. I can't imagine what she's going through, and she's documenting it on TikTok. That takes a strong person for her to document it like that. Mm -hmm. I think what gets me the most... And yes, this is leading to something with doctor-assisted suicide. I just want to tell her story. Is how strong-willed she is. It's like she wants to be strong for her family, but she also wants to be strong with her audience. Mm -hmm. She built that trust between herself and the audience and brought them into her life. And you know how people on TikTok are. Yeah. They're son of a bitch and scumbags. You got those that are really good, but you still got that handful mm -hmm. that are like, I guess you can say, not not so much bullies, but, well, who cares? Uh, you know, like mm -hmm. just assholes, basically. And I didn't see any of that. No, that's good. I was amazed. But look at the trust she had to put in her audience to take them along with that journey. Yeah. And she is in week two of hospice. They gave her a choice. You can continue treatment, which is next to nothing. Or you can get quality time with your family. It'd be hard for me to even face something like that. But somebody who's 39, women are strong. I might bash at them and laugh at them and tease them. But women are really are strong. They got more balls than we do. And I wanted to share that story because I thought it was important. In her situation... If she decided to do doctor-assisted suicide, I think that would be the perfect case. Yeah, but it's going to be depending on the state she's in. And that's one thing that pisses me off. Yeah, there are only eight states in the United States that uh, where it's legal. Which ones is that? Washington, Oregon, California... 
Colorado, Montana, Vermont, Washington, D.C., and Hawaii. And Hawaii. Kind of sounds like liberal states there, but we can't well, bash on them. Hawaii just became, it just became legal in Hawaii in 2019. 2019. Yep. Why should an issue like this be state to state, I always ask myself. Everybody says it should be between the doctor and the patient. Let me guess. Religious comes into play on this. On why other states don't allow this. Well, it specifically states that each of these states, including Washington, D.C., have actually different legal requirements. What do you mean different legal requirements? And not every case of the doctor-assisted suicide is actually legal. Oh, do tell. Now I'm confused. (laughs) Well, here's how it is. We all know what the word euthanasia means, and if you don't, it refers to someone ending someone's life, usually relieve suffering, like doctors sometimes perform euthanasia when it's requested by people who have terminal illness and are in a lot of pain. And it's a very complex process. Local laws, someone's physical and mental health and their personal beliefs and wishes may pay a role in this. Well, wait a second. Local laws. Mm Mm-hmm. So if the state says, yes, it's legal, but this township here says, nah, we don't want that. You can't do it there. Basically. That's bullshit. Yeah. They should have no power over a a question like this. Well, you know, there are actually different types. There are several different types of euthanasia. And you have to... You know, you have to choose choose one depending on a variety of different factors. What I don't like what you just said, the euthanasia, mm. sounds like somebody's putting a dog down. Well, that's exactly exact terminology that they use when you put your dog to sleep. Is I, you I would think them. that you would use some more caring type of verbiage, these idiots. Well, you would think. Well... It's like they had, and, and here, here's some examples of the different types that they have. They have assisted suicide versus euthanasia. Assisted suicide is someone called physician, sometimes called. Phys- I was going to say, you better tell me because now I'm confused. I got a dumb look on my face. Assisted suicide is sometimes called physician assisted suicide which they abbreviate as PAS. PAS means a doctor knowingly helps someone end their life. This person is likely experiencing persistent and unending suffering. They may also have received terminal, a terminally ill diagnosis, and the doctor will determine the most effective and painless method. Let me stop you there. Our audience has come to know you personally. Yeah. And your father through your stories. Yes. He was at End of Life. 
Yes. Now, if Illinois allowed it, would it have been a subject to explore? We actually, as a family, discussed it. And And how did them discussions go? What kind of topics came up? What kind of feelings, emotions, all that type of stuff while you guys were talking about it? Well, when he was at home in hospice, it was about 10, 10 days he was home from for hosp- at, at home hospice care. And, you know, I know I've mentioned it before. We, I actually mentioned it when we were talking about, you know, when, if you knew you were dying. Well, they stop all your medication. And he had Parkinson's, which is extremely painful without the medication, which is called carbidopa levodopa. Holy shit, I can't say that. Yeah, yeah trust me, I have that in, embedded in my brain. This carbidopa levodopa is what makes it where their muscles and do not tighten up. I got to teach her how to back from the mic when she breathes. Sorry. It, it's, it, it basically helps your brain not... Uh, no, I'm saying breathe through your nose, don't... Oh, I thought you said my nose ring was sticking out my nose. I'm like, what? I got no, a booger? Breathe through your, no, breathe through your nose. That's I thought you were telling it. me I had a booger. I got to teach her how to do this before her podcast. But the medication basically helps with their muscles and makes it where they don't, I guess you could say, have the same tension and tightness as rigor mortis. Okay, so we give... They couldn't give him any of these medications because it's end of life. There are no medications, which means you're cutting off everything to help you stay alive. That's about as much as they will allow you to do. Well, they were giving him morphine on this little Q-tip, like a pink spongy Q-tip, and you can only use so much, and you rub it inside their mouth, like in their cheeks. Well, myself and my mother and my two brothers had a discussion about what do you think if we kind of like gave him more? And I mean, which is a form of assisted type. Because he was in so much pain that, I mean, we had to rotate him every couple hours on the bed. And he would scream out in pain every time. Mm hmm. And we couldn't tolerate seeing him go through all that pain. So we were trying to think of ways to make it where it was more pain-free. But they were only letting us every couple hours. Basically, before we turned his turned him in the bed was when we were allowed to give him the morphine. So the uh, it would have been... And I don't like the terminology that they use. Assisted suicide. That's so wrong to use that in a situation where people are really suffering. Well. Would you have called it that? No. I would say um, giving them relief. Mm Mm-hmm. Helping them be pain-free. Help them towards their new path. Yeah. Well, the sad part is, you know, we obviously we didn't do it. We let nature take its course. I remember, and I think you actually got really pissed at me. 
I remember telling you, you know what? If it's hard, I'll go do it. Remember that? Yeah, I do. I said it's a hard thing for the family, but he's suffering. If you need me, I can do it. I told you no. But it's a something that I knew you were you're thinking yeah. about. Yeah, because I talked about it. I'm like, why can't we just give him more morphine and let him get this over with? Because I seen you hurting so bad, and I know he was hurting. He was a kick-ass guy, man. It was the longest. I mean, Him and his brother were the only one that even talked to me. It was the, I mean, he was suffering really bad the last eight weeks. But it was the last ten days when he was at home. That was the most painful for me. Mm-hmm. The whole last eight weeks of his life. In a situation like that, if Illinois would actually allow it, I think it would have been a perfect telltale sign. And I think that your father would have put a lot of trust in, I know, you at least, to make a right decision. And there were a couple times where he actually would make the statement because I spent the most time with him. And he would look at me and tell me that he wants to go home. Mm -hmm. And I'd look at him and I'm like, Dad, you are home. Look around. And he would look around and he's like, not this home. Mm -hmm. So obviously he was ready. He was ready. Why do you think? And I ask you a lot of questions on these shows. Yeah. Because you have some good answers. Thank you. I do not believe the government should have any involvement in decisions like this. I don't either. You talked about uh, Jack Borkian. Yeah. And the younger ones won't know who he is. No. But this man was called Dr. Death. Yeah. He was uh, Jack Kevorkian. Was they a- made him into a devil. Was a U.S.-based physician who assisted in patient suicides, Spar- and he spark and sparking increased talk on hospice care and the right to die legislative action. Mm-hmm. He was a pathologist who assisted people suffering from acute medical conditions to ending their lives. After years of conflict with court systems over the legality of his actions, he spent eight years in prison after a 1999 conviction. And what state was this? Does it say? Uh, I believe it was a West Coast one. I know he was. They actually grew up in Michigan. Berated him. Because he was helping terminally ill patients. They kept on bringing up, what is that, the Hippocratic... Uh, California. California, oh my God, yeah, California. Today it's like, hey, we'll kill your babies as soon as they come out. You have the right to decide. But back then it was a different kind of state. Well, it says that his, his Kevorkian's actions spurred national debate on the ethics of euthanasia and hospice the care. The Hippocratic Oath, doctors mm-hmm. shall do no harm. Well, I believe if you got a patient over here in so much pain, is so weak, can't eat, 
that's doing harm right there. Mm-hmm. And then the doctor stepping in and helping him along, I don't believe that's doing any harm. Take Tammy, for instance. Yeah. Last time I seen her, oh my God. She couldn't even get out of a car. No. She went through everything. Yeah. I would think that if I was in her shoes, I would want to be able to set it up where I can have the biggest party in the world. And later on that night, go have a shot of Jack Daniels and take a pill. I did it on my terms. Then you have these religious zealots who went after Kaborkian bad. What up more about him? Because we got younger listeners don't know who the hell he is. Well, he actually had a really interesting career. Um, In a method he called terminal human experimentation, he argued that condemned convicts could provide a surface to humanity before their execution by volunteering for a painless medical experiment. (laughs) That That didn't help them too much. That would begin while they were conscious, but would end in fatality. For his unorthodox experiences, or his experiments, and strange proposals, Jack Kevorkian's peers did give him the nickname of Dr. Death. Kevorkian's controversial views earned him minor media attention, which ultimately resulted in his ejection from University of Michigan Medical Center. He continued his internship at Pontiac General Hospital instead, where he began another set of controversial experiments. After hearing about a Russian medical team who was transfusing blood from corpses to living patients. What? Yeah. Kevorkian enlisted the help of medical uh, technologist uh, Neil Nicole mm. to simulate these same exper- experiments. Now you know what? I can start seeing why people were getting pissed at him. Well, the results were highly successful, and Kevorkian believed that the procedure could help people, could help save lives like on the battlefield. Mm hmm. If blood from a bank was unavailable, like a blood bank. That's a good point, though, right there. Doctors might use Kevorkian's research to transfuse the blood of a corpse into an injured soldier. Kevorkian pitched his idea to the Pentagon, figuring it could be used in, like, this is way back during Vietnam. Mm Mm-hmm. But the doctor was denied a federal grant to continue his research. Instead... The research fueled his reputation as an outsider, scared his colleagues, and eventually infected Kevorkian with hepatitis C. What? Yeah, he ended up with hep C. And back then, that was a bad disease. Yeah, and this was back prior to like 1960. It was around 1958. They didn't even know what hep C was back then. Mm Mm-mm. So he, what do you think about that? Do you think he was on the crazy side? 
I mean, he's the only way to figure out if shit's going to work is experiment. Mm-hmm. I mean, so he did what he had to do. So you don't think that's weird? No. Well, what am I talking about? I'm talking about a freak over here. <laughs> who loves these freaking horror films. Well, he ended up heading out to California, and he uh, commuted between two part-time pathology jobs in Long Beach. Yeah. <laughs> this guy's weird. Pathology, you know, that's what, blood stuff? That's what, drawing blood and yeah, that's why, dealing with blood? That's why, with being that he was a pathologist, that's what made him start thinking about... Mm. You know, transfusing blood from I corpses. wonder if other doctors besides Kevorkian ever thought about going down that road. I bet it would be hard as hell to be an oncologist, having to see that every day. I wonder if they would ever go home, turn on some classical music, drink a brandy, and say... About some of their patients, maybe it would be better if it would end. I wonder. Well, eventually in the 80s, guess what he did? What? He created his suicide machine. Which <laughs> which he called the... Dr. fucking Frankenstein here. Which he, crea- which he called the, in- it, it, the instrument of death. Which he assembled out of $45 worth of materials. It consisted Fucking of... Fucking MacGyver over here. Well, listen to this, though. It consisted of three bottles that delivered successive doses of fluids. First, a saline solution, followed by a painkiller, then the fatal dose of potassium chloride. That's what stops the heart. Kind of sounds like, hmm, somebody on death row. Lethal Getting the injection. lethal injection doesn't that what it isn't that what it sounds like? Exactly, exactly. It and does. Then, and I don't know when the lethal injection began, but he created this machine in 1986. I uh, we're gonna have to get the dates out. So of we that. will have to look and see when lethal After injection started. Break, yeah. yeah, exactly. Because he's basically doing the exact same steps that somebody with lethal injection would be receiving. And they said. That's when he invented his machine. Yeah, that's going to be interested to find but out when there was the first using, legal injection. But this is the, this is the kicker, though. With his with his machine, patients who were ill could administer the lethal dose the the lethal dose of poison themselves. He didn't do it. He did not do the injections himself. He put the controls in the patient's hands. To do it themselves. And that's he was where they just got doctor-assisted suicide. Exactly, because he didn't do it. He was just giving them the device to do it themselves. And uh, it didn't go very well, of course. What do you mean it didn't go too well? Well... Kevorkian became like infamous in 1990 when he assisted in the suicide of Janet Atkins, a 54-year-old Alzheimer's patient from Michigan. Man, Alzheimer's at 54? Yeah. Atkins was a member of the Hemlock Society, an organization that advocates voluntary euthanasia for terminally ill patients. 
before she became ill. After she was diagnosed with Alzheimer's, Atkins began searching for someone to end her life before the degenerative disease took full effect. She had heard through the media about Kevorkian's suicide machine and contacted him about using the invention on her. Kevorkian agreed. And to assist her in a public park, inside his Volkswagen van, Kevorkian attached the IV and Atkins administered her own painkiller and then the poison. Within five minutes, Atkins died of heart failure. Mind you, once again, she did it herself and she asked for him to come do this, to bring this machine so she can put herself out of misery before the See, before I, the I, Alzheimer's took full effect on her do, body. I do have a problem with that because it was in the back of the van. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of nasty. But I guess that's what she chose. Didn't he used to videotape them, getting all their permission and all yes. that stuff? Yes. Mm-hmm. Then in 1991, Michigan suspended his medical license, but that didn't stop him from continuing with assisting the suicides. Well, at Unable to gather the medications that he u- needed to use for a suicide machine, he assembled a new machine called the Mercitron, oh which, which delivered carbon monoxide through a gas mask. At that point, it's like, now, hey, see, wait a there, second here. There, I, I would disagree with what yeah, he's doing. Yeah, you're damn right. With what he was doing with his other machine... And what, the is patient, he doing, what is he doing? Hooking the hose up to the uh, he put, end of a... He, uh, to a gas mask. Yeah, but the other end to what? A car muffler? Oh, it's another machine that he created. Y- yeah. So that part I don't agree with. But in 1998, they decided to finally... They made... They enacted a law making assisted suicide a felony. So it was in Michigan he was in jail, not in California. So I'm correcting myself. It was a felony punishable by maximum of five years prison sentence or a $10,000 fine. How did they even come up with uh, the minimums of uh, for something like this? I don't know. But they actually closed the loopholes that allowed Kevorkian's previous acquittals. So, yeah, he uh, he got screwed. So that's <laughs> when he went, he took his show on the road. Yeah. <laughs> in March of 1999, remember, in, in, in 1990 was when he assisted this lady. But in 1999, he, oh man, this man like had a life. You know what? Hold that thought. We got to get this music breaking. This is so weird. We'll be right back.
Honest and Trusted Biker News now at HarleyLiberty.com. Founded in 2012, Insane Throttle Biker News has been the place that all bikers come for what's happening in the scene. Go over now and bookmark HarleyLiberty.com. Rock on. Oh yeah, before we get back to this serious subject, it's anniversary weekend. Yes, anniversary weekend. I've been with this schluck over 21 years married, and then seven more years before that, so that's 28 years. I know. <laughs> anniversary weekend. Friday night, I got something planned that's going to blow her socks off, and you'll be hearing about that on Monday's show. But getting back to... And I did look up. The very first lethal injection was done in 1982 in Texas. In Texas. In Texas. So basically, it's all right for them to kill somebody. Yeah. But you can't do, you know, you can't relieve the pain. Right. You said during the break that there's active and then there's passive ways. Mm-hmm. Of doing that. What's some of the ways that they can assist you? Well, most people, when they think of euthanasia, they think of a doctor direct directly uh, ending someone's life. That's, I still don't like euthanasia. That is what is known as active euthanasia, when the doctor actively does it. Purposely giving a lethal dose of a sedative is considered active euthanasia. Oh, wait, 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 wait. The drug tail that they did with the state. Yeah. What was that? You said it was... The drug cocktail that they did? That they do, yeah. Because Kevorkian used a sedative. A saline, a pain or reliever. Saline. Yeah. Yeah, he did a sedative, or a saline, and then a sedative, like a pain reliever. Right. And then sodium... Pentothal. Yeah, pentothal. Same stuff he was using, except the saline. Right. They did, the way the the way they do it in lethal injection is sodium. Pentothal. No. It's, it's a TH. TH. Yeah. Okay, go on. Whatever. I'm not good with the English That rendered a, a, a person unconscious. Then a bromide, which relaxed and paralyzed the person. Then the last drug was the potassium chloride. So he basically which took it from them. a massive them. heart attack. Right. They basically he basically took it from them. Basically, he just so did it's all right for them to do it, but not you. Yeah, okay, go much. ahead. So go on to a passive and uh, unpassive. All right. So the active euthanasia is basically the doctor directly in ending that person's life. Okay, with a lethal dose of a set of a sedative. Mm-hmm. Passive euthanasia is someone described as withholding or limiting life-sustaining treatments mm-hmm. so that the person passes quickly. A doctor may also prescribe high doses of pain-killing medication, and over time, those doses may become toxic. This makes the distinction between passive euthanasia, and palliative care a little blurry. Palliative care focuses on keeping people as comfortable as possible at the end of their life. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
So do you get the difference? I get the difference now. Like, for example, palliative care, a doctor might allow someone approaching death to stop taking a medication because of unpleasant side effects. In other cases, they might allow someone to take a much higher dose of a pain medication to treat severe pain. Because that's often a standard part of good palliative care. But many don't consider it euthanasia. Really? Yeah. But then, you also have voluntary versus non-voluntary euthanasia. They got a, well, non-voluntary, that's murder. Well, if someone makes a conscious decision to hu- to seek help with ending their life, it's considered voluntary euthanasia. Like a person giving full consent and, distri- and demonstrating that they fully understand what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. So that would be somebody that's like, you know, with stage four cancer or, you know, something like that. Well, it's interesting you ble- bring that up because I brought up some of the specific provisions in Washington, which <laughs> they're very logical. Patient must be 18. Patient must be mentally competent. Verified by two posi- uh, physicians. My question with that is, say Alzheimer's. Mm-hmm. When they're already at the advanced stage, they cannot, I wouldn't think, be legally competent to be able to bring something like that up. Then you have, it has to be terminally ill with less than six months to live, verified by two physicians. They have to make a voluntary request without coercion, verified by two physicians. They have to be informed of other options, uh, including palliative and hospice care. There's a 15-day waiting period between the first oral request and a written request. There is a 48-hour waiting period between the written request and the writing of the prescription. The witness, or it has to be witnessed by two independent witnesses, at least one of whom is not related to the patient. Those are very reasonable. And the attendant physician may sign the patient's death certificate, which must list the underlying terminal disease. And see, what you just described is voluntary euthanasia. Mm -hmm. But they have non-voluntary euthanasia. Which I think equates to murder. No, it does not. Really? You will change your opinion in one second. Non-voluntary euthanasia involves someone else making the decision to end someone's life. A close family member must be the one making this decision. This generally is done when someone is completely unconscious or permanently incapacitated. It usually involves passive euthanasia, such as withdrawing life support from someone that is showing no signs of brain activity. Basically... You cannot make the decision for yourself. If they have severe Alzheimer's, they are unable to make this kind of decision and a family member would have to step in. Ah, this is where the trust comes in. Or if they are on life support and do not have a living will, it is entrusted in the family 
to make this decision to take them off life support. See, that's why I really started this uh, segment out where you have to have trust big time in your partner to make a decision like this. That is, a, see, China now just kicked me in the ass. Which, like, like, in, how like in my grandfather's case, he did not have a living will. But with him committing suicide and shooting himself in the head, he had no brain activity. But yet when he was brought to the hospital, he they did every excessive means because my grandmother told them to. Mm. And put him on life support. Which then, my grandmother told them that she needed them to call her daughter, which was my mom, and ask, what do we do? And that's when you said he tried shooting he shooting himself. I don't think he wants to live. My mother talked to her brother, then got his opinion and hung up with him. Then, as I'm sitting down in the living room doing homework, she looked to me and asked me my opinion because I was the closest grandchild to him. Mm-hmm. And I said, Ma, he shot himself. Turn it off. He doesn't want to be here. I can't believe they would even consider that a type of suicide when you take somebody off of life support. It's considered non-voluntary. Why would they categorize it that way? Because that's how people look at things. That is so interesting how they do that. Yeah, but I mean, it's like if you go, if you're in a hospital and you're there, like I have medical documentation for my mom that, you know, if there's nothing more they can do, she does not want to be hooked up to life support. But it's still going to be considered... It's considered non-voluntary. Well, actually, for her, because of we've got written consent... It would be voluntary. It would be voluntary. It just isn't her making the final decision, even though between me and my two brothers, we all have the document stating she does not want to be on life support. Then it shouldn't be a problem for the state since this is happening every day. But you also got to keep in mind there are many people out there that do not have a living will. Mm -hmm. So they do not have it in writing that they don't want to be on machines. And that's when it becomes non-voluntary and the family has to choose that for their loved one. Mm -hmm. And that makes it the non-voluntary. So if you've got paperwork and documentation saying this is what you want done, that's you choosing yourself and your family needs to respect your wishes. But if you don't have documentation or any paperwork saying you don't want to be on machines, then it's technically in your family's hands on what they are going to choose to do. They can choose to keep you on machines for as long as they want or not bother with machines. And Just it's remember, be- though, make sure your spouse, uh, <laughs> you trust them, because if you break your arm, they're going to say they don't want to live like that. <laughs> which me and um you know our lovely children we joke about that with my mom (laughs) (laughs) oh she broke her leg turn her off she don't want to live like that we got the paperwork she don't want to live that way (laughs) (laughs) we joke about it all the time 
Yes, we joke about it. We're <laughs> sick. <laughs> the stuff you're into, yeah, you're a sick puppy. I am not. You're a really sick puppy. You know, and people have deba- debated about euthanasia for you know for many, 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 many years. Obviously, especially about the PAS, which is the patient, uh, the the physician assisted suicide. You know, but if you really think about it, it's more. You know, it's a it's just another thing in this world that you yourself have a choice to make, and I think. It shouldn't matter. I, I think all states should make it a choice. Just like anything else. Just like this bullshit abortion shit. I mean, everybody should have a choice with what they do with themselves. And that's where it comes to where I would agree. Your body, your choice. Because you're taking yourself out, not another human being. That's how I can equate it right there to the abortion debate. But one thing I do know is the zealots on the right, they always put, you know, they're always bitching about freedom, but they put it to where they have to have a say in something like this. They're not sitting there in your position, like this girl I started the segment out, who is who can tell her you can't make a choice like that? Or somebody else who is going through terrible pain. How can you tell them they don't have a right to go out the way they want to? I don't think people should have the right. Like I don't think the government should have a say. And I don't think other people should either. I mean, if you're if you're all upstairs in your head and everything, you know, you have your wits about you, you should be able to choose. Like, they give you a choice. Like, here's here's an example. They give you a choice if you have cancer. You can choose whether to do radiation, chemotherapy, all that crap, or you can say, chuck it in the fuck it bucket. I ain't going to do that shit. Because I'm sure if you have stage four, a lot of people are going to be like, forget about it. I'm done. Mm. You know, I don't, I don't want to fight anymore. Right. I've fought all this time and it's done nothing but progress. Why keep putting all this poison in my body? You know, they give you that choice when you have cancer. Why can't you, wanna you take con- a choice? Why can't this? you have a choice? If you want to just say, I'm chucking this and kicking the bucket, and this is what I want. I mean, there's many situations which I've seen, like, on TV and, like, real-life stuff, because I'm into the real-life stuff, you know, the true story situations, where a spouse is dying because of, and this was actually a thing about somebody that had stage 4 cancer, and was dying and stopped doing chemo, stopped doing radiation, but felt that this is taking forever and actually had her spouse put a pillow over her face Mm -hmm. and put her out of her misery. Problem is, then they charge him with murder. Exactly. So, I mean, that's why they should have a choice. If they want to go, give them some morphine. Do what you got to do. Let them do their thing. 
Mm -hmm. That's what they want. Why should the government be able to step in and go, Hey, wait a minute. You cannot put yourself out of your misery. Because they get their campaign donations from these zealots who think they can push their morality on the other people. Yeah, exactly. Now here's a guy that got charged with murder. Yeah. When the wife wanted this. But if the state she was in allowed assisted suicide, he wouldn't have had to do what he had to do. Right. Well, I do have a little bit more information on Kevorkian. In June, on June 1st, 2007, after serving a little more than eight years of his sentence, Kevorkian was released from prison on good behavior. The he kill anybody while I was wait, there. <laughs> The former doctor also promised not to assist any suicides. Suffering from liver damage due to the advanced stages of his hepatitis C, doctors suspected Kevorkian had very little time left to live. So that played a toll on the fact that they did release him mm-hmm. on good behavior also because of his medical condition. But Kevorkian soon mended... And began touring the lecture circuit, speaking out about assisted suicide, right? On March 12, 2008, Kevorkian announced plans to run as an independent candidate for a seat in the U.S. Congress representing Michigan. (laughs) Though he didn't win the election, he did earn 2.6% of the vote. Hey, there you go, man. 2.6%. And if y'all are interested, back in 2010, um, Al Pacino starred as Kevorkian in a movie called You Don't Know Jack. Rock on. And finally, June 3rd, 2011, at the age of 83, Kevorkian died at a hospital in Michigan where he'd been hospitalized for two weeks with kidney and heart problems before his death. He didn't even get to use his own machine. Damn it. No, because he did no longer had access to the chemicals because <laughs> they took his license. Well, this was a very important, deep subject, and I have to thank China Dow, man. She did it really, really good. And here's my final thoughts. Can I give a final thought? Do you, everybody listening, everybody listening right now, Do you have a living will? Do you know what you want to happen with yourself? Have you had that discussion with your family? Very good point. Something to think about. Well, we got a next uh, episode of really tearjerker, if you will. Gotta stay tuned. And that's all for Motorcycle Madhouse this morning. Don't forget to go over to subscribe to our YouTube channel, install Insane Throttle TV's channel over on Roku, as well as go get the Insane Throttle radio app over on Google Play. Rock on until next time.